What strange words. When I am weak, then I am strong. And what an odd message I have for you today. That God would show you more purpose through your limitations than he would through your strengths. Now, a word of warning. I hope uh, that uh, none of you uh, just came here today just to do church and put your time in with the Lord. If you did, you better get out while the getting's good. We'll all bow our heads and you can know. we got some stuff to deal with this morning. I want to talk about the frustrating experience of being limited and how important that is in God's plan for our lives. You heard the first limitation. It was in paradise there was a limitation. And the limitation was, you can't eat of this tree. I say no. And you know the result of exceeding that limitation. That exo- the result was failure and death. You know the result also of the second kind of limitation that becomes a theme throughout the Bible. The limitation of ourselves, not of God, the limitation of ourselves that God says, no, you must exceed that limitation. Because through that exceeding, through the surrender to me of the fact that you can't do it all, through the admission of the limitation, through the allowance of me saying to you, no, you will learn who I am in your life, and only then. Now, this whole subject is a matter of prayer because the important um, um, conversation that happens with God comes after you have heard the word no. It comes after you have sensed that he's really serious about this thing. I can't do this. That is a matter of prayer. Most of us have prayer for things, not after we have been told no. Now, I understand, even as I begin this thing, that prayer is not, I'm sorry to say this, not a normal dynamic of a Christian life. In most American Christianity, we have two forms of prayer. One is from what I call the refugee mentality, and one is from what I call the squatter's mentality. The refugee mentality, I preached on several weeks ago, and it was the mentality that we took on after we were exiled from the Garden of Eden, that conversation with God was not a normal thing at all, except for when you were in an emergency situation, then you then you try to talk with him because it wouldn't hurt. And so... We think we live out here in the world and we we have this mentality that it's not a part of our everyday process. Oh, when we get in enough trouble, then we can have prayer. But the refugee mentality is that there is a distinct separation and it is not normal to pray. And we do live in a world that is very alien to us. I I came (laughs) face to face with this fact Friday night after I was getting home from a football game. And we got some new neighbors uh, right next door, and apparently the mom and dad, I did not know this at the time, were out of town for the weekend. And as we drove in our driveway, they must have been 30 or 40 teenagers out in the front yard of this, of this house 
drinking and smoking God knows what. And as we drove in, you know, everybody was real uh, uh, anxious to see what I was going to do about this. Well, I'm not a I'm not a call your cops on your neighbor kind of guy. I, I first first shoot out of the blocks and and I just went in and we I thought about it a while and it got louder and louder and more and more toward bedtime and so I said, well, I'll just go over and you know this is what I'm saying to myself. I'll just go over and and see if there's any adults in charge. And so I started heading out the door and my 15 year old says, Dad, where are you going? He said, I said I'm just going to go see if there's any adults in charge. And he looks at me like, uh, what planet are you from, Dad? <laughs> He said, "He said, uh, you don't have parties like this if there's an adult there. And I said, well, you know, every once in a while you, you run into one of these strange people that has this logic that says, oh, if you're going to drink, it's wrong to drink. If you're going to drink, but please drink at my house because then, you know, everybody come over and I'll see you're safe. And I said, just, you know, the mixed message, you know, the double-minded thing. And so, you know, I went over. I, I go into this crowd in the front yard and I go, who's in charge here? And of course I get the same response every time. I start, and I say, well, who, who lives here? You know, I go into the house. The house is pitch black, except for the silhouette that you can see out by the pool as you look through, and I see these two faces together, kind of doing a tonsillectomy on each other. I'm, I'm, do, I'm doing this with the greatest of pleasure. Excuse me, I need to get through here. And I'm asking everybody in the middle of a dark room, you know, is there an adult here? Who lives here? You know, I'm getting the same response, you know. All of a sudden, everybody starts going out the front door. And I turn around, and the police are there. <laughs> now, my first, my first inclination is, great, the cops did come. My second inclination is this. How am I going to explain <laughs> being in, in the middle of a dark room with drinking, smoking teenagers, and I, in the middle of the dark room, you get this little short squat minister going... <laughs> So I took off running like everybody else. <laughs> but anyhow, I digress. It's a strange world, you know. My first inclination with any group of people is go in and shout, On your knees, we're going to pray this thing through. But it was not, it was an alien thing to them. As it is with most Christians that you just get through life doing what you think is best and you only pray in the most dire of emergencies. That's covered, by the way, in first James or in James chapter one, verses six through eight, that says, Double minded men can expect nothing from prayer. Because when you try to live in the world and then hop up to heaven for a little while and then hop back to the world, you're 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 there's no stability. There's no result in prayer. That's the refugee mentality. By the same token, there is a squatter's mentality. You remember from your American history when people used to just go settle on some land. They didn't know whose land it was. They'd, they'd push their way out to the perimeters of society and they'd settle on land. And it may be years, they'd, they'd build a cabin, they'd farm the land and so on and so forth. And finally when somebody came with a legal deed, said, pardon me, this is my land. Their, their response was, I've been living here for years. I've been camped out on this place. I've been working this place. No, it's my land. And they'd try for squatters' rights. Well, I know Christians just like that in the area of prayer. It's the name it and claim it bunch. They, they decide what they want. They stand, they stand on it, see? They, don't, they squ literally squat on it and they say, here's where I'm going to stand. And if I work this thing long enough and if I shout about it long enough, God's got to give it to me. 
Never mind it's not your, your territory to begin with. Never mind you haven't got the legal deed to this thing. No, if we hype one another up long enough, God will give it to us. Oh, no. No, no, no. All, all we're doing is hyping one another up. You know, I, I was somewhere this week, and I was sitting, and I know I must have looked tired, because this little kid, who was just wired, came up to me after a while and said, you know, mister, it's a shame I can't give you some of my energy. Then we'd both be hyper. <laughs> I thought, what happened to where we'd both be normal, you know, that, that you'd come down a little bit and I'd come up a little bit and so on and so forth. No, we'd both be hyper. And that's what, that's what reminds me of Christians that have this squatter's mentality. Just hype one another up, and if we shout about it long enough, then it'll be on. Now, come on. God is in much more control than that. What happens in life when God says no to you? Do you try an emergency prayer or do you just keep living in the refugee land? Or do you squat and just start shouting, but this is what I want, I'll never give up? What happens? Because God has plans for us. He is enfolding a plot that involves us, but is much wider than us. I was reading this week, I, I read uh, Alexandra Ripley's uh, uh, sequential novel to, uh, not so sequential, follow-up novel to uh, Gone with the Wind, Scarlet. I like a good trashy romance novel every once in a while. <laughs> not dirty, but just trashy, you know. And... Uh, and I'm reading this, and two out of my three kids say, Dad, what are you doing reading a secular novel? Isn't it funny how we can out-Jesus Jesus sometimes? What are you doing reading a secular novel? He's over there saying, he said, when we were reading the Apostles' Creed, he said, if we were really going to do this right, we ought to say this in Latin, you know? Well, we, we have a tendency, I like that, but we have a tendency to just want to just camp out in one area of life, you know? And, and, and what I said to them was what is very true. We need to be reminded that a part of theology that you don't get from theology is that God has written this script. And it unfolds with various subplots. And the two things that are important to remember as God unfolds our lives are character development and plot development. And that's the idea that you can keep in mind when you're reading novels and any great work of literature. If you're reading Shakespeare, the themes were continually character development and plot development along the lines of alienation and reconciliation, exactly the same plot lines as the Bible. So it, it reminds us, you know, how God works. And that's what we need to be reminded of because it was so frustrating all the way through this novel that this Rhett and Scarlet thing wasn't working out, see? And there was always something coming up and, oh, they couldn't get together and you just wanted them to get together because they were so right for each other, you know. And so, but by the way, this is why people watch... Uh, 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 soap operas, you know. Oh, don't they shout at their TV? Don't listen to her; she's lying to you. See this plot? These subplots—they keep you interested for you. Well, that's how we're wired, because that's what God's doing with the world. He's developing things, and you—you you don't learn until the end how the end turned out just right because of the various frustrations during the middle. Very, very appropriate. Now, let me just show you in Scripture. Several places where God said no, where it didn't seem like he ought to say no. Uh, turn in your scripture, for example, to 2 Samuel. 
Now here is the story of David who has committed adultery and who is confronted by his friend and prophet, what a strange combination that is, Nathan. And Nathan knows the plan of God. And he looks at David and he says something to him as a friend and David doesn't fully believe it as a friend and prophet because he doesn't know whether whether or not Nathan is right on. So he goes into the just-in-case prayers. Listen listen to this. Verse 14, I'm sorry, uh, chapter 12. (laughs) I always do that. Just turn with me to this scripture and then I don't give it to you, do I? It's written right here. Verse 14. Because by this deed you have given occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. The child also that is born to you shall surely die. So Nathan went to his house. Then the Lord struck the child that Uriah's widow bore to David so that he was very sick. David therefore inquired of God for the child. See him seeking God, asking God to save that child. David fasted and went and lay all night on the ground. And the elders of his household stood beside him in order to raise him up from the ground, but he was unwilling and would not eat food with them. Then it happened on the seventh day that the child died. And the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they said, Behold, while the child was still alive, we spoke to him, and he did not listen to our voice. How then can we tell him that the child is dead, since he might do himself harm? But when David saw that the servants were whispering together, David perceived that the child was dead. So David said to his servants, Is the child dead? And they said, He is dead. So David arose from the ground and washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes and came into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he came to his own house and when he requested, they set food before him. And he ate. Then his servant said to him, What is this thing that you have done? While the child was alive, you fasted and wept. But when the child died, you arose and ate food. And he said, While the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, Who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me that the child may live. That's a just-in-case prayer. And it's one that's always fine to pray. But now he has died. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? No, I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. There is a part of us that would disagree with God visiting judgment on an innocent innocent child because of the sins of the father. We have a big quarrel on our hands. You know why? Because God promised that a long time before David ever lived. There is a part of our sin that is so serious that God will not stay judgment. He will even, at times, affect the lives of the innocent because of our sin. And as much as we request it, as much as we say, Oh God, please, don't visit my sins on anybody else but me. That's not how God runs the universe sometimes. Sometimes, other people are affected. And to our prayer, God says, no. No. The consequences will be the consequences. 
Now, from the rest of David's life, we can see the profound effect that God's answer had on him. And one of the profound effects that it had was that David was able to go on with the rest of his life. After God said no, he was not divided in his focus anymore. He did not stay there weeping and pleading and crying why and crying out against God. No, the matter was settled and David heard it. And he got up and he worshipped God anyhow and he ate and he went on with his life. So too should some of you. There is another passage. Look in, um, turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 3. This is even harder for some of us. This is Moses talking in Deuteronomy chapter 3, beginning with verse 21. Now here's a guy who was just trying to be obedient to the Lord. The Lord put him with a whole bunch of whiny people who didn't want to be where they were. He didn't want the job in the first place. God said, no, you do the job that I've given you. So he went along and says, okay. So here they're all. For 40 years, these people are out in the wilderness, and then they come to the promised land. And God's not going to let him see it. God's not going to let him walk in this promised land. Now, the excuse that sometimes Scripture has, or sometimes when people we hear people quoting Scripture as well, he, he hit the rock instead of speaking to it. That doesn't seem like enough for most of us, does it? Now, it's not big enough for most of us. We say, there's got to be another one here, you know? Somehow, God's got to justify this. And the Bible answer is, no, it doesn't. Read with me. This is Moses talking. He says, And I commanded Joshua at the time, saying, Your eyes have seen all that the Lord your God has done to these two kings. There were two kings attacking him, and God took care of them. So the Lord shall do to all the kingdoms into which you are about to cross. He's given Joshua the encouragement he needs. Now, look at the next verse, and, and if you've got a pencil, underline it, and read it about six times a day. Do not fear them, for the Lord your God is the one fighting for you. Do not fear them, for the Lord your God is the one fighting for you. Read that about six times a day. Everybody needs to read that. Now here is the pitiful part. I also pleaded with the Lord at that time saying, Oh Lord, God, thou hast begun to show thy servant thy greatness and thy strong hand. For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do such mighty works and mighty acts as thine? Let me, I pray, cross over and see the fair land that is beyond Jordan, that good hill country in Lebanon. But the Lord was angry with me on your account. On your account, remember those words. It would not listen to me. And the Lord said to me, enough. Speak to me no more of this matter. You know how a little kid just keeps up, going, 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 going. And you finally turn around and say, no more! Don't you say another word on this. Evidently, Moses had really been bugging him. Really wanted to get into that promised land. And God says, no more. I said no. I meant no. Now, to us, that doesn't seem right, does it? Moses is the one that got him there. He ought to be able to take him over. Why? We'll never know. We'll never know for sure. There's a little hint here. There's a little hint. 
that on the people's account, Moses couldn't go over. There is a, something that's going on in the United States right now, a dynamic in First Baptist Church, the largest Baptist church in the United States, and, and probably the most uh, uh, profoundly influential Baptist church in the United States so far. Uh, First Baptist Church, Dallas, where uh, Chriswell was, Dr. Chriswell was senior pastor for years. And a couple, three years ago, Dr. Chriswell retired, and they called one of the most preeminent preachers in the entire nation, Dr. Joel Gregory, to take over that senior pastor spot, while Dr. Chriswell became the pastor emeritus, senior, uh, the, the, the one that's retired. But he stayed in the congregation, Chriswell did. And after months and years, the people have continued to go to Chriswell, who was the founding developmental pastor. And they have not at all taken to seeing Dr. Gregory as the senior pastor who leads them into the next stage. So last week, Dr. Gregory resigned. What a horrible loss to that church. What What a profound teacher and scholar this man is. But yet... Because Criswell stayed. And Criswell can't do anything. I mean, I mean, this is not Criswell's fault, but because Criswell was not removed from the people, the future leadership could not take hold. And that, I believe, is what was happening with Moses. People never would have seen Joshua as the leader with Moses still there. And so what God was doing was saying, there's a whole new stage for you people. Whole new stage. And for that reason, I'm taking out past leadership. Again, for some of you, that's exactly what God is doing. He is carrying you from past leadership because there's a whole new stage in your life. It's not that he has anything against the past leadership. There's just a new stage for your life. And if you stick with the past leader, you'll never get on with the new stage of your life. You understand And so God says, no. Now God not only says no in order to deny us of things and to stop us from doing things, God also says no when we try to seek and escape from doing what he told us to do. Look at Jesus in the garden. God, if there be any way, let this cup pass. Right there, God said. Jesus heard it and continued his prayer. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. God said, you can't get out of it. I sent you for this. I told you to do this. I'm not changing my mind. You can't escape. The answer is no. You know what my will is. The answer is no for an easy way out. Look at, again, the original text, 2 Corinthians Chapter 12. This is exactly what is happening to Paul. Paul is saying, Lord, I can't work like this. You know what? There's this huge disappointment in my life. And it keeps sticking me. And I can't concentrate. And it makes me weak. Take it away. God keeps saying, no. But I can't do it. God keeps saying, that's the point. It's going to stay with you. 
Unless I take it away sometime in the future, it's going gonna, it's gonna to stay with you. But don't take it into your mind that if you're faithful right now, I'm ever going to take it away. Because the point here is not that you can accomplish what I gave you to do. The point is that I can accomplish it. You got the thorn. I know it sticks. I know it hurts. But the plot is larger than you are. And you are so important to play out your place and to do my will. You'll see later. You keep going. The answer to your request of the relief of the pain is no. Because I want you without any escape to depend on me. Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The translation to that is, Blessed are those who have absolutely no other resource than God. God says, No. But God, this isn't normal. This isn't like how we started out. I'm not sure this is glorified. No. Listen to him. Because only then can he, will he, complete the purpose for your life. This is not a drive-through deal, gang. This is serious business. I saw a, uh, a restaurant the other day on 436 that I'd never seen before. Uh, now, my life is pretty much uh, uh, occupied with uh, uh, fast food restaurants. That's just pretty much how I live and my family lives. That's just the kind of schedule we're on. When I give directions, I give them by restaurant. I don't give them by street. But you know where the Wendy's is. Well, you go down by Burger King and you make a right and you go past the Taco Bell and, you, you know, that's just how I do. That's how I think. Never met a drive through I didn't like. <laughs> well, I saw one on 436. I'd never seen it before called... Uh, Hot and now. Anybody seen that one? Hot and now, yeah. Uh, now, if that doesn't, if that's not the motto for American culture, I don't know what is. Hot and now. See? That's why we want life. Hot and now. And I, and I, I, I've told you before I had this rich fantasy life. I imagine myself driving through this place. I, I like to think of it as a, as a parabolic imagination, but it's probably just a fantasy life. I, 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 I try to, Picture things as they would be if the Bible were, were exactly uh, reflected in society. And I pictured myself driving through this hot and now place. See? Pulling up to the little box and a voice comes over and says, uh, What do you want? Well, I said, Give me a hamburger and french fries and a big, thick chocolate milkshake. And the voice says, No. <laughs> What do you mean, no? Look, the voice says, you only exercised one time this week. <laughs> Your blood cholesterol is at 258. You're in a high-stress position. You're 44 years old. You're not getting any younger. You don't need a hamburger and a milkshake. And I start thinking, is my grandmother in there? <laughs> Then I picture myself saying back, well, what can I have? Well, the voice comes out, got some nice green beans today. <laughs> and, and a little chicken grill and, and some fruit juice. How will that be? 
Well, I say to the voice, Okay, send it out. I'm starving to death. Just get it out here. No. <laughs> Why not? You just said you'd give it to me. Come on, I'm hungry. The voice says, You're not hungry. You just think you're hungry. You just want something to make you feel good, for crying out loud. You drove, didn't you drive to McDonald's this morning for one of those two egg McMuffins for two dollars deals, thinking you get some sort of big bargain? Man, there's going to be cholesterol in your blood for, you know, three weeks. Look, you don't need anything to eat for at least another hour. Okay. Okay, I'll be back. And the voice says, No. What do you mean, no? That, the voice says in the box, says, Turn off your car and talk to me a while. I say, what is this, drive-through therapy? And the voice says, oh no, I just told you not to drive through. Turn off your car and talk to me a while. What do you want me to talk about? Well, I want you to tell me how your week's going. I want you to, I want you to stay with me just an hour. And I want you to tell me what's up with your family and what your plans are. I want to see if I can help. And then, after a while, I want you to tell me something else. Uh, let's start out with that thing right there. Well, the voice says, I'd like you to tell me about the times you were disappointed when God said no to you. And I'd like you to tell me if you ever reconcile with God for that. Why? Well, because the voice in the box says, you can't get any closer to God. Than handing in your disappointments and saying, okay, okay, I don't understand, but I'll accept no. Let's have some prayer time right now, okay? Let me ask you to do this. First of all, let me ask you, either in your seat or up here, while Tim does some I surrender all stuff on this thing, this is very appropriate. While he plays, let me ask you, just to get face to face with God. Now, I've asked Dick to be up here. There may be some of you who don't even know how to approach God. You've never accepted Christ as your Savior, but you want to start today. So you, you just need another person to tell you how to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior so you can get started on this thing. And I've asked Dick to make himself available. But the rest of you that come up, I don't want you praying with anybody else. This is a you and God thing. And I don't want you to ask instructions. I don't, know, I don't want you to ask for answers. I just want you to come. And I want you to say, God, I am deeply hurt still that you said no. I am deeply hurt still that you are saying no in this area. But help me to hear what you're saying so that I can get on with your purpose and help me to learn how only you can take me from here. Let's pray for a while. Um.